This episode of Assembly Required and MCU Retrospective is sponsored by Audible. Visit audibletrial.com slash assemblyrequired for a free 30-day trial today. There was an idea. Romano, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses. Standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. Assemble. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assemble Required an MCU Retrospective. The show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo, and we have got Disney Plus season back in full swing. We're talking all about Hawkeye today, and I've got two out of the three boys here to to chat along with me. It's Peaches and it's Robbie. Chris is actually going to be coming down here to join the rest of us physically, and it's going to be really cool. But for this episode, we got Peaches and Peaches and Robbie. I was going to say Chris, even though he's not here. Robbie, <sighs> Peaches, what's up, guys? How's it going? Yo, what's going on? You guys ready to talk Hawkeye? Yeah, I am actually. I've been ready for three days. I feel like I haven't been here in 45 years. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Uh, you're interrupting, Eduardo. You just, oh, okay. Okay. Directive. <laughs> uh, you know what? We didn't talk about this even a little bit beforehand, but how about we get a little bit of your... Uh, we don't need to get any Venom talk, but maybe a, a little bit of your Shang-Chi thoughts? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I, I didn't even think about this ahead of time, so I don't have anything prepared. I don't know if I have a lot of specifics to say. I really enjoyed the movie overall. I probably would rate it, probably rate it between a seven and a half and an eight and a half, probably somewhere in that range. Um, and I don't mean that as in like, it's a low thing. I like, I really, I enjoyed the movie visually. It was a very pleasing movie on the eyes. I thought the action sequences were great. They were really fun to watch. I think if I had any quick criticism of the movie, it might be that some things were maybe overplayed. I think the thing that comes to mind is um, actually the final battle, I think, was maybe like three or four minutes longer than it needed to be. I I, I felt like we got the uh, idea of what the final battle was supposed to be with a few minutes left on the clock that they maybe could have shaved off. But again, not really a something I'm going to come at them about just, you know, quick criticism. If I had to think of some, I'm looking forward to see them to seeing those characters again in the MCU, wherever they pop up. I am surprised that it seems like Aquafina is going to show up as a, uh, a more common recurring character. It seems like that's the way they were going with that. Well, she's a girl with a bow and arrow and we don't have any others of those in the MCU. So. That, that, <laughs> That's true. Until this point, that is true. And I wonder, I, I don't know if her character is someone from the comics that I just am unaware of, and maybe that's why, or not. Or they just want an original character that, that people like that sticks around. I don't know. I, I mean, I didn't really have any problems with anybody. So, no, it was a good movie. I liked it. Quick question. Uh, you have you? I assume you have not had time to listen to the new episode yet. I, ha- I haven't listened to okay. um, I haven't listened to either of the last two because I'm a terrible okay. fan. I, I well okay so I didn't I didn't listen to Venom two because uh, I actually have not yet seen Venom two. I want to see it. It's just it hasn't been something I've been able to get out and do. And then yeah, I, I just haven't listened to the other one because I was on vacation for a little while and um, 
yeah, that's all. Okay. So I just, so you haven't heard when I went, you were mentioning the length of the final battle and how much of, in the test screening, it was like five times longer with Shut the five fuck times. up. <laughs> so now, <laughs> now, I, now I get to have your reaction and I'm so excited. So I'm watching, <laughs> I'm watching your face as I tell you these things. So way longer, several subplots weaving throughout the final battle. You'll hear some of this on the episode. And, and I'm sure that that was the intention. I'm sure that the whole idea was let's put all of this in here and get from the audience what works and doesn't work. Because honestly, everything that I, and as far as I know, everyone else said didn't work, they pulled out. Like, So I, I know that that's the process. But let, hmm. I can tell you it was originally much longer, including lengthy sections as they resolved the Razor Fist and uh, uh, what's the sister's name? The sister and Razor Fist as they... Resolved. I remember I, I remember you saying yes. this in the group chat. So this is not, yes. you're not going to get the shock value you want out of this because I already had that shock value a week ago. So resolving their love story was happened in the final battle. <laughs> Originally in the final battle, everyone died in all the way up to, to Aquafina, but then except for Shang-Chi uh, and his sister, everyone died. But then they came back to life, which was both like too dark and then also not enough weight or stakes. Sure. Um, that was lengthy. And then there was also a whole lot of Trevor Slattery stuff. Like, like what's the what's the creature's name? Um, Morris. 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 Morris grows large and Trevor Slattery gets on his back and rides into battle with Shakespearean dialogue and hacking <laughs> things. And yeah, which. Well, I'm, I'm looking really, forward to listening to this then because. I'm really sad I, that Eduardo didn't get that part. But yeah, I, I, I'm really excited for two things on that episode. I'm excited to hear the differences that you inevitably end up describing between your screening and the actual film and i'm really excited to hear Lindsay on the show i'm glad that she got to be a part of the show and i want to hear her thoughts and maybe i'll write a letter to the show agreeing with Lindsay's points who knows i don't know what they are yet well you'll find out if you listen to our episode on shang chi yeah if you want to support the show support uh, these these fine gentlemen and myself doing this show uh for Disney Plus and beyond, you can do so. Patreon.com slash assembly required. Join our patron exclusive Discord. You can be part of our community events. We do one almost every month. Sometimes, you know, stuff happens, but we do them almost every month. We do all kinds of stuff like Jackbox game nights, board game nights, all kinds of stuff, watch alongs, you name it. We're probably communing it. But today we're going to discuss the first two episodes <laughs> of Hawkeye. Uh, they're both directed by Rice Thomas. I'm assuming that is Rice. Reese? Rice? Reese? I think it's Reese. Reese. Yeah, yeah, the ha. Yeah. Rice Thomas. <laughs> so it's called Never Meet Your Heroes, and it's written by Jonathan Igla. So to start off, we return once again to Manhattan in 2012. Ten year old Kate Bishop lives with her wealthy parents, Eleanor and Derek. In a posh penthouse. Ooh. What if she lived in a scary penthouse? Or a baby penthouse? Or a you know what other show has an Eleanor and Derek the good place? And on, they man. are... I'm over here telling a really good Spice Girls <laughs> joke, and you're just steamrolling it. I'm not trying to. It's just... <laughs> I immediately thought of Eleanor from the good place and Derek from the good place, and Derek is like, Maximum Derek! You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
That show has made it so that every time I hear the name Derek, that's what goes through my head. <laughs> Maximum Derek. Just sipping on a martini glass of tennis balls or some shit, you know? Sorry, Spice Girls. Keep keep going. No, no, it's fine. The moment has passed. Okay. Don't be too scary. Come on, Peaches. You've got to give. <laughs> I want to be better. Kate clearly has a strong relationship with her father and a more rocky one with her mother. I wonder which one of these two is going to die. The family moves to separate rooms of the home <laughs> as the Chitari invade New York, immediately blowing a hole in the side of the bishop's house. I got to pause you already real quick because, uh, A, it's my job to interrupt you, I was told, and B, I was watching this with my roommate, and the second time I was watching it with my roommate, and they're in New York in 2012, and he makes this comment like, I bet they're going to show the t- Chitari invasion right after this. And then it happens, and he like gloated about it. He was like, "I told you, I knew it was going to happen." And I was like, "Wow, good job!" <laughs> Saw 2012 in Manhattan in a MCU show, and you correctly guessed what was going to happen. As they're talking about like what happens in a hurricane, Dad, I'll protect you. Of course, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, good for him, but yeah. Kate stares in shock at the alien attack and is nearly slaughtered by a Chitari warrior before an arrow takes it out at the last second, saving her life. She sees the shooter, Clint Barton, taking out Chitari from a rooftop and is instantly enamored. After watching Barton do work, Eleanor runs and pulls Kate out of the collapsing house and to safety as Kate screams out for her father. At a funeral, it's confirmed Derek was killed in the attack. Kate vows to protect her mother from the future threats, saying she needs a bow and arrow. Then we get a really cool animated sequence for the opening credits showing Kate training in various combat sports throughout her life and becoming a great athlete. In the present day, Kate, now a senior in college, attempts to impress her friends with her archery skills by ringing a bell with an arrow, as you do, I guess. Ring my bell, ring my bell. No, you can cut that out. Actually, no, Never no. Mind. I'm gonna make. The, I'm gonna like add a beat to that. <laughs> Please don't. Yeah, right. Though her shot is successful, it destroys the ancient bell tower, and she's caught by security. Why did she stay there when it started collapsing? Why did she it, not just leave headlights, immediately? Like, oh, shit. Or or <laughs> chuck the bow and arrow, and then like you're standing on a different building. How are you going to be blamed <laughs> for destroying the bell tower? Whatever. That is true. I'm rich. I have good lawyers. What's the worst they're going to do to me? What am I, poor? Crimes don't really mean anything if you have money. You know, like, if you get a speeding ticket and you're poor, that's your paycheck for two weeks. If you get a speeding ticket and you're rich. city on Sokovia and he was fine. Right. Right. And that literally happens here. Like, all that's going to happen is her mother writes a check to repair the bell tower. She's going to kill people. Like, there's, there's there's way more that would happen to some of us. Yeah. The three her mom's of us, like, we're we going to have a stern talking about this later. But for now, just come to this party. You know, it's cool. Just show up. Kate returns home to New York for the holidays and is admonished by her mother, who tells her young people think they're invincible and rich people think they're invincible. You are both. So are you, mom. You are also rich. Eleanor asks her daughter to be careful because she's seriously hurt. Kate apologizes sincerely and promises to be safe. Then Eleanor totally ruins the mood when her boyfriend, Jack 
Duquens? Duquesne. 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 Duquaqua. Yes, Duquesne. <laughs> uh, Jack uh, Duquesne shows up with a rose in his mouth in front of her daughter. He has also decorated Eleanor's home with swords, uh, which Eduardo has to mention for future plot importance. Good, good call. I thought you meant which Eduardo has to mention so that Peach can get excited about all the swords. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, <laughs> uh, young Peach would love that. Like, please decorate the house with swords. If young Peach would love that and would love all the swords, what's your problem with Jack, man? <laughs> I don't have a problem with Jack, man. <laughs> I don't have a problem with him. I'm just kind of confused by him because I don't know if... It, it, I don't know what they told... I don't know that actor's name, but I don't know what they told him to do as far as the character goes. It seems like every time he has a, a line of dialogue, he's got a different accent. So I'm really like in both episodes. And then sometimes it doesn't seem like he has one at all. Like he's just, you know, a, a regular old good old fashioned American man talking. And, and I don't know. I don't know if he if he's like a certain nationality and he's trying to convey that. Um, I also don't know why they decided and maybe it's because this is how he looks in the comics. I don't know. I don't know this character. But why did they decide to go with like Dollar Tree Ron Burgundy as the way that they <laughs> they dress this guy up? Because he looks like he's about to tell San Diego to stay classy and play a jazz flute. I don't like who knows about this character. Please enlighten me. Unless it's unless it's spoilery. OK. Well, it may not be spoilery, but. We need okay. to have a chat about Jack Duquesne. One of the things you mentioned in the notes is you weren't sure if he was in the comic run this is based on. He's not, uh, unless I'm remembering it incorrectly, because I, I did read it when it was new and didn't retain everything. But I do not remember Jack Duquesne in there. Also, completely agree with you. Do not have any clue what nationality he is. And it almost, not necessarily a terrible way, like it didn't ruin it. But I found myself like just trying to figure out what is he? What is he supposed to be? What? I don't know what okay. he's supposed to be. The actor is Mexican. Oh, got it. Okay, got it, got it, got it. And is of like Mexican descent, has done like lots of got Mexican it. movies specifically. So the accent you Gosh. might be hearing might be his okay. American accent. So while there was no Jack Duquesne in the uh, the Hawkeye run this is based on, there is a Jacques Duquesne in Marvel who does look like this, uh, but he is better known as the villain, the swordsman. Okay, well, that checks uh, out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So I, I have to believe that's not a a, a coincidence. Something's going to happen here. I don't feel full on supervillain coming out of this, but uh, and I'm I don't know if you y'all have seen the swordsman. He's not that obscure of a villain. Uh, he's one I of mean, those. We're like, in the we're in the show with the with two people that fight with a bow and arrow. So a villain that fights with a sword is like equally as scary in some ways. <laughs> Right, absolutely. He tends to, this is going to shock you, uh, tends to go up against Hawkeye, uh, tends to be an Avenger, or tended, he's dead, tended to be an Avenger's stories that were like, you know, this is going to be a Hawkeye-centric Avenger's story, so we need someone that's going to be okay for Hawkeye to take on. Poor guy. Uh, so that's the swordsman. <laughs> um, I will fully admit that while I am aware of the swordsman, I did not know what his alter ego was, what his, his actual name was, until I was doing a little research, I'm like, oh, okay, never mind, figured this out. So, yeah, I just he I don't know if it's the way if it's this confusion that he's causing me or if it's 
the way that he's playing the character where he's kind of smug, but he's kind of, he doesn't seem like the threatening bad guy in this really? series. It doesn't seem to me. It Okay. We we're not at episode two yet. Like as, as far as what Eduardo has read and it feels like maybe there's a different big bad because he doesn't seem like a threatening big bad to me. I think it's a bait and switch. You think so? I think it's a bait and switch, but the, I think Eduardo's right, but I think they are laying enough of a of a, a trail to kind of lead you towards that, you know, or at the very least when you rewatch, say, oh yeah, 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 it was it was because so that's and that's fine, and I agree with you, and I think if I would have known, I would have had a different opinion if I would have known what you literally just said about him being the swordsman. So so possibly maybe I'm possibly, wrong. but my reading and and it ends up in the notes here. Even before I realized that the swordsman was named Jacques Duquesne, I my reading was this it, maybe not the only villain, but that this is a either a or the villain of the story, just a, particularly the way he acts in episode two. And yes, we, yes, in the the notes we haven't gotten episode two, but we have all watched episode two, and this dude has Shock. had heavy, heavy villain reading to me. Um, but I think I'm not saying he's not a villain. I'm saying he's just I don't I don't look at him and go ooh. Mufasa. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, I think it's the opposite. I think that there are lots of heavy villain tones, and I think it's on purpose because they want to distract you from the real villain, who I think is going to be Eleanor. I actually think that Eleanor is secretly the main villain of the show, and I think that we are being led to believe, and Kate, just like Kate is being led to believe, that her future stepfather is this really awful person when in fact he probably is a really awful person but he's marrying her mother who is also a really bad person that's Dude, what i think especially I, if you look at the conversation praying hands emoji the, <laughs> if you look at the conversation she has with the guy before he dies where he talks about how she got her money like he, she can't keep doing this and he's like freaking out at her and like and kate is like listening she's like what's going on in this conversation i think that's what's happening but maybe because of all of the bait and switches we've gotten from all these other shows, I am so skeptical that I don't <laughs> want to believe anything, no matter how obvious it is being fed to me. So that's a possibility, too. You want to know who agrees with you and thinks the mother is the villain? My wife. All yes. right, well, then I'm yep. I, and I And I agree with both of you. I'm, th I'm saying that's a nork and not a stork. You know what my tell is? Because I agree with everything you just said as far as tells go, but... Um, between Eleanor and Kate, it seems like every time they have a conversation, Kate is very quick to just be extremely submissive to her yes. mother, which is a strange thing for her character and what we've seen of her so far, because it feels like she's very spontaneous, mm -hmm. kind of does whatever she wants, doesn't really care that much about the consequences. But as soon as her mother like gives her a command, she like puts her head down, tail between her legs and is like, yes, mother. And it feels very manipulative. Yeah. You know what I think is very interesting is I think this show is going to be a bit more straightforward than the other MCU shows. And yet here we are going in the weeds of what our <laughs> conspiracy theories of what are going to happen in this show are. Uh, I, I Also, though, mm -hmm. that actress, um, um, what, Villa Far Farminga? Mm -hmm. Villa? I probably just butchered mm -hmm. that. I, it took me a while to realize what she was from. She's one of the main characters in The Conjuring. Oh. Okay. Not the con yeah, the Conjuring, right? It, she is one of the main characters in the Conjuring. Yeah. So it, it it feels like, and she's not a villain in the Conjuring, but it feels like she could play a villain just based on her past works. She's kind of scary, yeah. 
I'm with Eduardo that I think we're being given a lot of a lot of villain stuff. I do think that Jack is going to end up being a villain, but maybe to your point, Peach, not necessarily big, bad, scary villain. I think Eleanor is the villain. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, we'll see. Oh, and also, by the way, speaking of Eleanor, Jack's future wife, uh, Jacques in the comics had a wife. Do you know who his wife was? Who? Mantis. So we need to see that. That needs to happen in the MCU as well. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Huh. I was about to Google Mantis for like three point three <laughs> seconds, and then I was like, "Oh, that Mantis!" Yes, like I yes, thought we were talking that about Mantis. That I Mantis. thought we were talking about a different Mantis, and I was like, "Wait a second, no, this is we're talking about this Mantis." Kick this, names, take ass. This is our connection from the Hawkeye to the Guardians of the Galaxy universe. Ah, yes, Finally. the mandible claw of Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, elsewhere in the same city, Clint Barton and his three kids are viewing the high-quality production of Rogers the Musical. I'm so (laughs) sad that Chris is not on this episode. I know know. that he would have a million things to say about Rogers the Musical. (laughs) I'm so sad he's not here. It's it's incredible. Um, Adam Pascal is the 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 first guy that sings. He's the he plays Roger in the original production of Rent. Very famous Broadway actor. In fact, they're all very famous. Broadway actors that they got for this scene. Uh, really? So, yeah. Interesting. And, which is why it sounds like a real musical. Honestly, it sounds very close to Spider-Man the musical. So I was like, wondering it if very it, similar. I was wondering if it's supposed to be a reference to Turn Off the Lights. That's what it's called, right? The, the Spider-Man it? musical? I think that's what it's called. I've only ever you. seen the one performance with the villains that's insane. Where they no, introduce turn off all the, the dark. Turn off the dark. Turn off the dark. There it is. Are we going to need to see Spider-Man the musical to then podcast about it? I'd prefer I not would. to. If we could do that, if we could figure out a way to watch Spider-Man the musical, I would absolutely Wait, love. Why did you just say I prefer not to do that? It's bad. <laughs> it's bad or you don't like musicals? I don't I don't care about musicals, but it's uh not a particularly well regarded musical. Well, we watched Spider-Man 3, so. <laughs> I mean, if there's nothing this podcast is capable of other than realizing that it likes Spider-Man properties more than they are popularly reviewed. So maybe we're the group that likes Turn Off the Dark. During a zestful musical reenactment of the Battle of New York, Clint is shaken by the image of Natasha Romanoff on stage and turns off his hearing aid. Look. Zestful. I think this scene might be just a little ridiculous because like this girl doesn't <laughs> look do you, what, what do you mean? Why do you say that? Because not because of the actual, like <laughs> the battle of New York thing. The fact that he like sees someone dressed up as Natasha and is like, like in this universe, people dress up as these heroes all the time. There are probably a bunch of little girls and people impersonating Natasha everywhere. This person doesn't very much look like Natasha, but he's still like triggered at the sight of anyone dressed up. Like, like I think maybe that's a little too far. Huh? Like, it's not like he's looking like at a portrait of Natasha. (laughs) He's looking at an actor who is sort of dressed up like her in a really bad costume and being like, Oh, this really shitty looking Natasha's plugging at my heartstrings. I think I agree with you, but also not a hundred percent because I, I don't know. Grief affects people for weird amounts of time and in weird ways. I mean, like, 
there was a time where I was heavily grieving around you and we were at a bar and I saw, you know, things that reminded me of what I was grieving about that probably had nothing to do at all with the thing I was uh, grieving about. We can think of forgetting Sarah Marshall where he's like, Sarah got me this and it keeps my cereal fresh. Yeah. Like I I have the freshest cereal. I think it's probably more so that than like that person, you know? Yeah. Obviously that person doesn't look that much. I I shouldn't even say that much. Like she doesn't really look anything like Natasha, Natasha, but you know, when you're grieving, like all, all it takes sometimes is like one shed of, like one little thing, and then you go down the rabbit hole, you know? This is a fun show, damn it. <laughs> I think it's also really important to talk about how they have introduced Hawkeye's disability into mm-hmm. the the show, because that's a very big uh, yes. thing in the comics that Hawkeye um, is... I don't believe he's fully deaf, but he's hearing impaired. And they've since added it. They've kind of like brushed, they brush on it a little later about like why he needs a hearing aid. And it's because of all of the explosions and things that he's been through throughout his life that it's eventually impaired his hearing. Needing a break from the show, he goes to the bathroom, but another dude picks the urinal exactly next to him, even with an entire wall of empty urinals available, which is a party foul. You do not do that. That's my worst nightmare. You do not do that. It made me so mad. I was so angry. <laughs> Clint correctly chose one to the far side, but then this dude absolutely violated urinal ethics. Exactly. <laughs> then he asked Barton for a selfie, which is like the, the like the, the the cherry on the the Sunday, right? Like the, the icing the on cherry top. on the urinal cake. Yes. Wanted to get away from fans, Barton leaves the musical entirely. His kids understand that he is shaken over seeing someone play his best friend and leave to get dinner. At dinner, Clint's wife calls in, discusses his vacation with just him and the kids and their plans. The Barton children and their dad are having a family bonding trip to see the Christmas sights of New York before coming home for Christmas in a week. The restaurant pays for Clint's food since he saved the city in 2012, which clearly makes Barton uncomfortable. Guys, I hated most of this. I did not like it, mostly because nothing really happens. I think we're supposed to feel warm and fuzzy for Clint and his family, and I couldn't care less. I did not like them, or I like I just didn't feel the chemistry and the like. I think that yeah. that's what that's they're going for. Like it's clear that they're like being like, all right, here's the family having like a heartfelt family dinner and stuff. And I think, and I'm gonna get to this later. My biggest problem. Is with Jeremy Renner himself. I don't find him. Uh, I, I think sometimes he can be a little, little, little rough around the edges, and so it makes it very difficult to believe he's having these heartwarming interactions because he doesn't mm-hmm. come off as a heartwarming interaction type of person. Right. His I'm Hawkeye interactions with Kate are cool, partly because of how Kate plays off of them, but but then when he's with his family, it feels like. Like, I'm almost like, is he pretending to enjoy his family? Or is he an actor pretending to be a man who actually enjoys his family? Which one of these is it? Here's the problem. I think the MCU, and especially this first round of MCU people, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them were just encouraged to sort of be themselves, right? 
be your character, try to infl- and like kind of influx a little bit of your personality into the character. I think that's when Taika Waititi told Thor, like uh, Crimson Hesworth, like put a little bit of yourself into the character, and then they wrote him a little differently, and he was able to really revive that character. And I genuinely think that like outside of like movies and stuff, uh, Jeremy Renner is probably like an asshole, and I think that it's fine for the movies. Because that's who Hawkeye is. He's, you know, he's like, you know, cool and like kind of like rude, but that's like his his like thing, and which is fine. But then when you were trying to tell me he's got this like really sweet family interaction, it makes me upset. Or maybe I just have PTSD and I see his family and I immediately think of Age of Ultron and it gives me bad feelings. That could be a possibility too. Are you saying that you didn't enjoy Jeremy Renner's um Social media iOS content. application, whatever it was. No, no, I I did not uh, partake in that. Okay, you know what? I I agree with you about the weird family chemistry, but I don't agree with you guys for the same reason. I I think that uh, Jeremy Renner's doing a fine job being an awkward dad who loves his kids. I think the kids are bad actors. Every every <laughs> every every scene like, that the kids are in feels really. Y'all can forced. both be right. I, I know we, we can, can both be right. right. Yeah. We can, I and I agree with that, but I don't think that I think he's doing what he can to save those scenes, and all the kids are like, "This is my first time acting." Like well, that's what like, it feels like. These are the same kids me. from the original movies, right? Like they all got the, they all are just older now, right? That's what it feels like. It feels like they just got the same kids. I don't and, know if I can confirm that. I mean, if they I didn't, didn't get, if these are new kids, and these were the best ones they could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's I really hope. It's... I mean, we've all seen the Phantom Menace. I mean, yeah, they didn't they didn't do too much in the other films that they were in. So yeah, you might be right. Like they're just like get those get those damn kids back over here, and they're yeah. like, me act good. I know. <laughs> I try. Um, I don't know. They they feel not great, but I don't know. I I agree with you for a different reason. I agree with both of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and like I just kept wanting it to just like, like let's move on already. I'm ready to. Do you think they're out of the show now? Do you think like because of episode one and two, it was just like, hey, remind everybody he has family, and maybe they'll come back for snippets later. I don't mean fully out. I mean like, like not a focus for a while. Right. We've got to have the happy scene when he does miraculously make it back home for Christmas. So they'll be there. I don't know if you've seen one of those like. Dad, you're supposed to be home for Christmas style movies, but he's not going to make it home in time for Christmas. That's it's never how they work. We're watching different Christmas movies. No, have you seen Jingle All the Way? He does not get the Turbo Man doll. He doesn't make it to Christmas. He shows up in the parade in the suit and Jamie's like, my dad's Turbo Man. Everything's solved. No, it's not, kid. That guy has to return that costume. You're not going to get the toy, so you're not going to be able to play with the Turbo Man doll. You're an idiot. Go, go learn force moves. It wasn't, well, if you remember that movie, it wasn't about Turbo Man. He didn't want Turbo Man. He wanted Turbo Man so he could look cool in front of his friends, which is exactly what Arnold Schwarzenegger accomplished. I guess that's true. Points to Eduardo. <laughs> Eduardo wins. Remember, which is why you want customer. When you're young, that's why you right. want any toy. It's so you could look cool in front of your friends. <laughs> Peach, the real meaning of Christmas is not the toy. It's family and your father listening and to fighting you. Sinbad. Yes. Yeah, I should be a prince of Vixen comic Cupidana Blitzen. Jamie, put the cookie down. Now. <laughs> <laughs> in my house eating my cookies. 
that's the best Christmas movie. We should do by an episode on Jingle All the Way. I could talk about the movie for hours. Same. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kate joins her mother at a black tie gala where she sports a kick-ass all-black tuxedo. She runs into Jack's uncle Armand, who leaks to Kate that Jack and Eleanor are engaged. Armand the third of maybe seven. Who knows? Of seven. How does that <laughs> even work? That man is not that old. Kate confronts Eleanor in anger, then goes outside to get air, where she meets a disheveled, one-eyed golden retriever who melted my heart from the second they were on screen. Oh, you need to read the comic run this is based on, then. Wait, can I go back real quick? I have a a, a family question. If yeah. you have no, you can't. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> what if you have what? No, you said no. It's cool. Go ahead. If you have a, uh, uh, you know, a son and you name him Eduardo Jr. And then you have another son would and you wanted to also name him Eduardo. Would he be Eduardo the third or is it a generational thing? Like, can you only have one junior in that generation? And then that Eduardo would have to have another Eduardo because you could have an Armand the third who gave birth to Armand the fourth, fifth and sixth. And then one of those three Armands gave birth to. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't give birth, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it is the father of. The first thing you described is the traditional way of doing it. I suspect the Duquesne family is doing the other thing. They're doing so. Okay. Um, uh, who's the uh, George Foreman named all his kids George Foreman, um, and I believe he named his daughter. Oops. <laughs> George Foreman named all of his children George Foreman. Yes. I did not know um, that. I believe his daughter, I believe, is Georgina Foreman. Like Georgia Foreman. Um, <laughs> yeah, something like that. But anyway, name all his kids George Foreman. He didn't give them juniors or anything like that. I didn't know a kid growing up, though, that uh, his name was Ponce. Uh, he and his two brothers were all named Ponce. They were all Ponce the Third. All three of them. <laughs> all three of them were Ponce the Third. So I think you just kind of do what you okay. feel like. <laughs> guess, <laughs> you feel yeah. right. You know, you love a name, you, you you figure out a name you love, and you're like, um, that's all the creativity I've got. Just, you know, <laughs> name them all the same thing. I really like this one. <laughs> this one's George Foreman. <laughs> Heading back inside, Kate stumbles on Armand threatening Eleanor, but doesn't understand why. Wanting to learn more about Armand, she poses as a caterer and sneaks into an auction of exotic materials in the wine cellar, attended by both Armand and Jack. Eventually, the sword Baron Barton uses when he was posing as Ronin, the savage underworld vigilante briefly seen in Endgame, goes up for auction, having been salvaged from the wreckage of the Avengers compound. Armand and Jack viciously outbid one another with Armand winning. Afterwards, the Ronin outfit comes up for auction, but before the bidding can start, an explosion breaks through the wall and a series of track-suited Eastern European thugs pour in looking for a watch. Kate, still feeling the need to protect people after watching Hawkeye save her 12, year, save her 12 years prior, steals the Ronin outfit, puts it on, and begins beating up thugs with her honed martial arts skills and creativity. In the process, she helps the people of the auction escape. Look. Robbie, you're going to talk about how much you love Kate Bishop right now. I'm going to let you do that. But I just need to very quickly say, very quickly, I maybe part of the reason I found these first two episodes underwhelming is I found the action a little underwhelming 
when I compared it specifically to Shang-Chi. Because we were just coming off the heels of Shang-Chi, I've watched it like three times since we did that episode. I just keep watching it over and over. I really like that movie. But the action specifically, like it gave me like a breath of new life. Like a breath of fr- it was like a breath of fresh air compared to the rest of the MCU combat. So now that I'm going back to something that's a little bit more traditional MCU combat, I was a little disappointed by the action, not by Kate Bishop's character, but specifically the action. Yeah, I think I agree with that. It, it feels weird after watching Shang Chi because it's just you know people throwing punches. Uh, it's like it's almost like going back to Daredevil, and I don't know. I I agree with you that it's not as visually interesting at all. I think it end, I end up liking it because of how it fits the narrative, if that makes sense. Obviously, obviously Kate Bishop is not going to be doing, you know, uh, uh, Taolo uh, martial arts or anything like that. Um, but she doesn't have the ring. So it's, it's going to be more visceral and more human. I, I guess I just kind of liked watching her put everything she's learned over the years you know, on the table, actually doing it, actually beating up thugs, actually being a hero. I just really enjoy the character. I, It's two episodes in. I reserve the right to change this opinion. But right now, I feel like I like her about as much as I've ever liked a new MCU character. It, it, she's A lot of that's Haley Steinfeld, Steinfeld is fantastic. Um, her, her charisma on screen, both and in both ways, when she's confident and delivering quick acer- acerbic lines... When she is overwhelmed by seeing her childhood hero or being feeling subordinate to her mother, like Peach was talking about, she's playing a range of emotions and how she interacts with different people in a really, really entertaining way to me. And Steinfeld's uh, delivery is just so fantastic. I'm really interested in the character. She's, it's an interesting take we haven't really seen in the MCU of someone saying, I can do that, and then doing that. I, I We're going to get that, I guess, probably in Ironheart as well. But it's just really cool. I, I guess I don't have that much to say. I just found myself really enjoying the character. I enjoy her delivery. I enjoy that she decides in this scene, well, I'm going to do something about it. And for, I enjoyed her before that. Before that, when she's there's the, the caterer comes down, it's an old trope, but they just play it so well in this. And the caterer comes down. He goes, Gary sent me. She says, Gary sent me here. And Gary comes down. I'm Gary. You know what? You don't even know my name. I'm quitting. You can't quit. <laughs> like, I just, it was really entertaining. And she's, she's clever. She's, she's funny. She has fantastic skills, a, an interesting set of skills. And in the fight scene, she's just very creative as in how she's going about it without superpowers and absolutely it is not as visually interesting i 100 not going to put this on the level of shang chi but in terms of what it does for making me enjoy the character I did, i'm not going to say i enjoy the fight scene that much in a vacuum I enjoy the fight scene is what it said about the kate bishop character if that makes sense i, I just really liked it another real thing a little thing i liked was she starts beating people up with uh wine bottles and I'm pretty sure Mythbusters handled this once, but regardless, you hit someone with a wine bottle, it is probably not actually going to shatter. So when she grabs the wine bottle and smacks someone on the head, my brain just told me, yep, it's going to shatter. That's what happens. And then it doesn't. It just keeps hitting people with them. I just really like that. That was a nice touch. Uh, I like that they know how, you know, glass bottles I, work. I am glad just, you said that. That's so weirdly specific, <laughs> and I agree with you. And she's, she's very much out of her element. She sees a dead body. She freaks out because this isn't what she does. She sees Hawkeye. She freaks out. But also showing that she's competent. The part where she uh, 
start shooting arrows out of her apartment at the tracksuits. She's showing that she knows how to do things. She just needs to, she needs the training for how she puts it together. I just, a lot of it's the actress, but I just, I'm really interested at seeing more of Kate Bishop. I, I don't have, I have read Kate Bishop in the comics, but don't have strong connections to the character outside of this. This is, the MCU is just creating someone that I find captivating that I want to see more of. And you're talking about a lot of these scenes are boring and you want to move on. And I agreed with you because I just wanted to, but no, can we get back to Kate? Can we get back to Kate? Can all I care about is seeing more of Kate. I can't think of a thing that I know that Haley Steinfeld has done that I didn't really like. Uh, she just, Agreed. she just voiced Vi in the league of legends, arcane series. Oh, really great as Vi. She also voiced spider Gwen in into the spider verse. Yes. Yes. And obviously we all love that movie here. Um, so I'm excited that she's playing this character in the first place, but the, the direction that her actual character is going is a very likable yep. direction. I remember seeing true grit in theaters and thinking, wow, I hope that she continues to be someone as she grows up. I hope she, she is not a good child actress. She becomes a good actress. And I remember watching that movie and hoping that, you know, this is what we would have. We would still have her as an adult uh, putting through great performances. So I'm pretty excited. In the chaos, Jack steals the Ronin sword and leaves. Outside, one of the thugs finds the watch, also savage from the compound, but is attacked by the scruffy dog before it runs into traffic. Kate chases down the dog, saves it from being hit, and takes it home with her. After dropping the dog off at her apartment, Kate, still in the Ronin costume, decides to investigate Armand. Using a sophisticated security system on her phone, she is able to locate Armand's home. Sneaking in, she remarks on his monogrammed butterscotched candies. Then she finds Armand, but he's dead from a sword wound to the back, so she runs away. In their hotel, the Bartons reminisce about all the cool Christmas sights they, that they saw that day and turn on the news. Covering the explosion at the gala, Kate's rescue of the dogs while wearing the Ronin costume was caught on camera. Clint thinks back to the things he did as Ronin and then decides to go after whoever is wearing it. As she leaves Armand's home... Kate is tracked down by the tracksuits, who attempt to capture her. Though she fends off for herself pretty well, she is eventually surrounded, before being rescued by Barton. What up, bro? Clint drags Kate to an alley and rips her mask off. He's startled to find a young woman under it, and she's startled to be staring directly at Hawkeye. Yep. And that was the first episode. Um... I'm going to get into it later, but I, I I personally thought this episode was like just okay. Um, and we'll, we'll get into more of it in the second episode, but the biggest part of the second episode that makes it so good is that we get Hawkeye and Kate Bishop together. They play really well off of each other. Those characters play really well off of each other. So it makes everything else seem lackluster in comparison because the characters are so good together. Um, so we'll go with ratings. Uh, Robbie, what'd you rate the first episode of Hawkeye? Uh, you know, it's interesting. We're, it almost feels from our conversations like we disagree, but I'm looking at our ratings right here. It feels like none of us disagree that much because I gave this, uh, I enjoyed it. Just, I agree with everything you said about the moments that dragged and wanting them to be together. So I'm going with seven suspenseful Christmas carols out of 10. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I don't have any like outstanding problems with the first episode. 
I I think as a season opener and as an introduction for new characters, it feels it felt well paced to me. I mean, because we don't have really much of a choice but to compare it to the second episode, like once I'm comparing those two things, I could say this one's a little dry. But when I was watching the first one for the first time without the knowledge of the second episode, I had a good time. So I gave it seven and a half unexpected surprises out of ten. Um, all surprises are unexpected. Eduardo, what did you rate it? I gave it six and a half destroyed clock towers out of 10. I thought it was just okay. I expect better, better things from the second episode, but I thought this first one was, I, there's a reason I think that they released two episodes. And I think it's because this one, it, it, there's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of introduction. There's a lot of, here are these characters. Here's what they're doing. And not a lot really happens in this first episode besides the fight in the wine cellar and so i think that that is the reason they released two episodes to begin with because i think you need to have that second episode to keep i think you you're probably right wasn't the actual reasoning that well okay i shouldn't say actual i because i keep remember i keep remembering chris saying something about them doing two episodes at once to make room for the book of boba fett uh the week after this show ends that's possible that has, that might has nothing it. to do with the MCU, but... I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it will. I mean, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's true as well. I don't know. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be back with episode two of Hawkeye. Guys, we're going to need to take a second to talk about today's sponsor, Audible. Now, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word, entertainment, and audiobooks, ranging from hits like the Lord of the Rings series and Dune as well as current bestsellers like the autobiography Will, which is written by Will Smith and Mark Manson and narrated by Will himself. Now, as a new dad, it can sometimes be difficult to find things to do when you have your hands full with a newborn and you're trying to change diapers and you're trying to feed the baby and you're trying to do all these crazy things. Uh, but Audible makes that super easy. I just pop on an audiobook like what I'm currently listening to, which is Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series. And the baby and I can drift off into a fun world that's not filled with formula and dirty diapers. Audible makes it so easy. You can download the titles offline so you don't have to be connected to the internet to listen. It's a free app on all major devices and you can listen across multiple devices and you'll never lose your spot. So head on over to audibletrial.com slash assembly required for your free 30-day trial. And a huge thanks to Audible for supporting this episode of Assembly Required and MCU Retrospective. Now back to the show. So Hide and Seek is going to be the next episode. It's written by Elisa Lamentz Clement. Say that 10 times fast. Lamentus. Uh, Lamentus Clementus. <laughs> no, Expect it's Nebio Saw. <laughs> Shaken by seeing a dead body and starstruck by meeting Hawkeye, Kate is escorted back to her apartment by Clint as she tells him everything. And this is that shit. I love these characters. This show where we're being being shown about Hawkeye training the new Hawkeye. You know what part's the best? When Hawkeye trains the new Hawkeye. When you get Hawkeye with Hawkeye. It's what I'm here for, and I want to see more of it. It was my biggest problem with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, is I wanted to see Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And they kept showing me all this other stuff when I wanted to be there for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And the power broker. You've got, 
you've got a very TikTok delivery right now, and I'm kind of living for it. Like, like I feel like you're shaking your phone every time you like enunciate a word. Like, I am shaking I something see. in my hand. I am. What the listener doesn't know is he's holding no, the uh, he's holding the iPhone microphone right up to his mouth. Oh yeah, the the wired microphone. He's like, got his hand in a weird position, and he's like almost got it in his mouth. <laughs> I want to like this show but I can't say that I like this show until they give me more of the stuff that I like. There are moments like these where you get Hawkeye and Kate together and you get interesting dialogue and interesting moments like this, but then they immediately break them up and they don't get back together until like close to the end of the episode. And then like all of this fun stuff that I think is like really fun and cool and actually really interesting. I then have to sift through all of the stuff that I find very not interesting to get to it. I think part of it is because Kate Bishop on her own is an interesting character. And I don't think Clint Barton is that interesting of a character on his own, but he's very interesting with Kate Bishop, but we keep getting scenes of him on his own. And I'm, I don't care. I, I, I'm sorry to all of the Hawkeye stands out there. I know that there is, there is a thunderous army of Hawkeye stands out there that love this character. I'm not, I, I'm not part of your fan club. Like I don't, I don't agree. Like I don't think Clint Barton's Hawkeye is that interesting. And I think he is a tertiary character for a reason. And I think Kate is clearly a star. Just how we thought, um, what's Black Widow's sister? What's her name? Um, Yelena. Yelena. Just like how we immediately knew she was a star. Kate Bishop is a star. She is going to be a star in the MCU. So give me more of her and let her be free. Like, I feel like tonally, like the way that she is written is a little inconsistent, not her delivery, but the like she acts almost one way when she is with Hawkeye and then kind of different when she's not with him. And I feel like when they're, when Clint and Kate are together, they like kind of give them free reign to go wild and like feed off of each other's chemistry and they find them so interesting. And then it feels so much more like, like structured and closed off when they are alone. And I just want more of that fun chemistry and that fun interaction and less of waiting around for it to, to, to happen again. We're I, only two episodes in, yeah. so it could, you know, change. I feel like you're going to get that. I also think, um, uh, like I am with you on the not a Hawkeye stand and I, and you didn't say this, but maybe you agree. I, I still, even after we've reviewed every single piece of MCU content, there is still don't know how Hawkeye stands came to existence really. Um, but I think it, they had that moment when they were, the two of them were having their chat before the LARP scenes where, um, Kate was telling him that his problem is that he's trying to be too aloof and mysterious and quiet and in the background when really like, that's not what people think is cool anymore. And, uh, and he gives people more inspiration than he gives himself credit for. I almost think that's sort of meta of the writers to be like, Hey, we get it. Like we've kind of made Hawkeye this mysterious character that we tried to make you care about because he had a family, but that's really the only thing that we gave you. And you're supposed to just care about these four other random people that you've never really had a chance to meet because one of them used to be Velma and Scooby-Doo. But now they're kind of like, you know, maybe they're going to open that up. You know, maybe that's the the mcu writing team saying yes we know that hawkeye was bland in the past we're gonna try our best to amend that 
quick question. What percentage of Hawkeye stands are people that are just attracted to Jeremy Renner? I, I mean Those that sincerely. Those people exist? The, okay. In my... in my and, and in this case, we're talking about the people I know personally. So this is a very small sphere. Like, that's basically what it is. It's people who have a crush on Jeremy Renner. Does he have that tattoo in real life? Because that tattoo is pretty cool. I don't know. So if there are Hawkeye stands, if there are Hawkeye stands and it has nothing to do with, yeah, I have a crush on the celebrity. I'm as confused as you are because I just assumed it was liking just finding Jeremy Renner hot. The first person that comes and I'm not going to use their real name, Mm -hmm. obviously, but the first person that comes to mind when I think of Hawkeye stands is someone that you work with that uh, we all used to work with at the place that we worked together, who is a big Star Wars Marvel fan. Gosh, what things can I say to make it obvious who what that's, man that's, I what man I'm talking about? It's fun. someone that still works with Robbie. Correct. Yes. Um, I mean, I don't I, think knowing yeah. the actual person is important. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah it's uh, but, it's uh, Shmain Shmali. Yeah, yeah, Shmain. <laughs> Thank Classic you, Shmain. Shmain. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. No, I did not realize. Uh, I don't think he's attracted to Hawkeye, so I, I think he probably is a fan because of this comic run. That's possible. So it's, okay. Yeah. Comic Hawkeye. Comic Hawkeye. I like. Well, if you translate Comic Hawkeye to this, then you're going to like him because you have some bias, right? Possibly. Well, and I think therein lies maybe a little bit of a problem, and we've talked about this many times. Just because there are references to the source material, a good movie it does not make, or a good TV show it does not make. Mm-hmm. This we're going to see if it is a good adaptation of the comic, but just because it is an adaptation of the comic doesn't immediately give it a pass into being something that is worth watching. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Also, I'm not going to go as far as saying I I don't I don't hate MCU Hawkeye. I just he's the easily the least interesting original Avenger. He is not enough to carry a show on his own. It, it, it's not so much that I hate him. It's just I'm with Eduardo on... I don't think Jeremy Renner is doing anything on the show without his playing off of Haley Steinfeld for me to say, yes, this is enjoyable. There's a lot of other things I do enjoy about it that we'll talk about. It's just not... The idea that there is a Hawkeye stan, an MCU Hawkeye stan, is, is just weird to me. If you're one of those people, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. Let us know, Hawkeye stands. Let us know. <laughs> so Clint is talking to Kate, and he tells her the thugs are the tracksuit mafia. He tells her he'll need to take the Ronin suit since it's what they're after. She introduces Clint to Lucky the Pizza Dog. In fact, I don't think he's even Lucky anymore. He's, he's Lucky yet. He's just Pizza Dog. They don't name him yet. I don't think she said Lucky yet. I know... Lots of the media, and I think maybe even the the IMDb credits refer to him as Lucky, but I don't think she has said Lucky yet. She attempts to get him to sign her bow while possessing absolutely no chill, but the tracksuit mafia shows up, having seen Kate take the dog there. The tracksuits start hurling Molotov cocktails into the apartment, but are fended off by Barton, Bortles. as well as expert shooting from Bishop. <laughs> Sorry, good place always in my head. Flames start to spread in the apartment, and Clint, Kate, and Lucky flee, leaving the Ronin suit behind. Clint and Kate hide out in Kate's aunt's house. Kate keeps trying to bond with her hero, but Clint has no interest. 
uh, Peach, we've talked about this a little bit, but these two leads have a ton of chemistry with each other. And I think uh, it's successful. Yeah, I think this episode works well because of their dialogue. They they made me laugh a lot. Uh, just the way that they talk to each other, the way that, you know, Kate has just, it's kind of like watching a Gen Z talk to a boomer. Like, <laughs> it's just, hey, do you know what TikTok is? No, I have no idea. Like, they don't actually say that. But it just feels like two people from completely different worlds that just happen to have something in common talking to each other. And their dialogue is funny. We've already named some specific examples, but the way they interact with each other made it. I wouldn't say that the other Disney plus shows haven't been fun because that would just be a lie. Like I have had, I had a lot of fun with WandaVision. I had a lot of fun. I know we're not supposed to talk about it, but I had a lot of fun with Loki. I intermittently had fun in, at, in what if <laughs> just depending on the episode, uh, mostly the bro Thor episode. This one already was like fun right off the bat. Like I and, it, and it's mostly because of the way that they interact with each other. More than anything, you know, with that and like how silly the tracksuit mafia seems to be, like they kind of they're like a bunch of idiot goons that just they're trying their best. But like one of the one of the pieces of dialogue after they kidnap Hawkeye later in the episode, he's like, guys, I can see through this bag. <laughs> like they're trying their best, but they're just idiots. All of this, like, A, it makes me laugh, but B, it makes me want to read this comic run. I, like, more than anything, this show has been a great advertisement for another thing so far. So I'm happy with this episode. I'm happy with their dialogue and their interactions with each other. And uh, do you guys know, is that comic run still going or is it like A to, a to Z and I can read it start to finish? Because I, I want to. That, that run of Hawkeye is done. Yes. Okay, cool. Great. Yeah. That's perfect. I want to read it. It's it was it was good. It, weird. I'm saying it's good and yet it didn't like sear into my brain in a way that I remember every detail, but I do remember enjoying it. It's honestly it was the first time that I found myself really like, "Oh, I want to go back and read some Hawkeye stuff." And I did. Like it made me really interested in Hawkeye. It is clearly influenced by the popularity of the MCU. Like very clearly they are putting a little bit of film Hawkeye onto the pages, oh, but was this was this run written after the MCU had already started? It's not it's not old. 2015, I believe. Oh wow! Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is not. That's old, interesting no. because I I actually know about this comic run that the show is based off on because of Marvel Puzzle Quest. That is my dorky moment of the episode. No, it's not. I've had several already. Marvel Puzzle Quest had a Hawkeye, um, a version of Hawkeye where he was wearing like a t-shirt with a bullseye on it, wearing jeans mm -hmm. and the comic book cover, all the different characters were like represented as on their bio in the game with a comic book cover and his were covers from this run. Got so it. I knew about it a long time ago, never cared to read it, but because it was in Marvel puzzle quest and that game is not really that old. I thought that that comic run was much earlier. Mm. That's very good. And, and for anyone listening, by the way, that wants us to go more in depth in it, we're getting that next week. Uh, Soundlord has spent a bunch of time. He's rereading it and getting his notes ready for it. We're going to talk about the, you know, the in, what influenced this show. Uh, we'll do that next episode. We don't have two episodes to talk about when Soundlord's able to be here. So stay tuned. <laughs> uh, something you were talking about that I, I kind of wanted to expand on, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. 
You were talking about how, well, all of these episodes are fun. It's almost like it's hard to define what do we mean when we're saying this one's fun. And I think, I think what we mean is that it is only fun, only fun, but there's nothing wrong with only fun necessarily. Loki was fun, but Loki also was emotional. And maybe this will get emotional, but I think Loki was emotional right away. It was poignant. It was thoughtful, thought provoking, made it addressed questions of morale, of morality, existentialism. Uh, WandaVision did some of that. Had a very, also had a very bright sort of meta contextual, uh, almost a meta analysis of television itself going on. It had a lot of morality. Had a lot of emotion. You know, those shows were were fun, but they also had, in a good way, darkness to them, which I think this less so. This is almost more. Almost more comedy, almost lighter fare. It is very clever, I think. But it is mostly, it's almost like candy, whereas those were more like meals, if that makes sense. So, and I, that's not a criticism, but that's not when we say this, this show is just fun. That's not saying, oh, and WandaVision wasn't fun. It's saying that all this show is, is fun, but that's a really good thing to be still. Yeah, I, well, it's interesting because there's just not a, you know, obviously, again, we've reviewed everything, right? We've reviewed everything. There's hardly anything we've ever reviewed so far where we've come, we've come out saying, man, that was just a good time. Like, man, there was the start to finish. I was just entertained. I was having a great time. There are things, but they are very few and far between. And so far, you know, that's how I felt is I don't, I, I love the idea of deep, meaningful conversations about important, important topics like, right, like the things that you said about Loki and WandaVision, th- those important topics that we could discuss for hours and hours. I also love not having to use my brain every now and then, you know, just like, you know, like the Thor episode of what if, you know, turn off the brain, enjoy the cartoon antics, have a good time. And so far, that's what this feels like. Not and I'm not trying to like, you know, water it down and say it's nothing but fun. There, I'm sh- like you said, I'm sure there will be some serious bits and things that matter in the future. But you know, I laughed a lot. I just laughed a lot, and I liked that. Right. You're willing it, to laugh. It's thank you. And on the other end of the spectrum, there's Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which was basically never fun except for like some parts in the second episode. And was trying to take on bigger themes, but didn't always stick that landing. And so then you just get nothing. It's nothing. It's and did half SpongeBob of their characters gift. dirty? It's, right, yeah. Barton heads back to the char department to find his old suit, but it's missing. He notices an NYC LARP sticker on a fire truck and decides that's his lead. Realizing he's going to have to stay in New York to clean up his mess, Clint spends his chil- sends his children home, promising... He'll be home for Christmas. Kate, meanwhile, discovers cameras caught her sneaking away from Armand's home after his death, and due to the using of the sword, it's assumed Ronan, who we are now supposed to know was actually famous and unknown, killed Armand. Clint tries to convince Kate to stay home while he goes to retrieve the suit, but she refuses, so he escorts her to her day job working at her mother's security company. On the way, Clint reveals his hearing aid is needed due to years of damaging noises as an Avenger. Clint gives Kate his number in case of emergencies, but tells her this is goodbye. At work, Kate has a tense conversation with Jack, but agrees to have dinner with him and her mother. 
After the meeting, she is contacted by N- by the NYPD who want to question her about the fire in her apartment. She agrees to come to the station the next day. On TikTok, Clinton is able to find a LARPer using the Ronin costume to be a ninja and goes to find him at a major LARP event in the park. Though everyone knows who he is, the LARPers will not allow Barton in unless he signs up and participates, so he does. Wielding a fake sword, Clinton, Clint's combat skills come in handy as he viciously kills, uh, fake kills dozens of cosplayers <laughs> in Central Park. Did you not think that this part was hilarious the whole way through? This was great, man. Why are you not answering? Come on, don't do this to me. <laughs> So because funny. I'm on mute. Because I'm on mute. <laughs> no, I'm talking to Eduardo. Oh. <laughs> he's looking at me like I just said the stupidest thing he's ever heard. No, 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 no. You're allowed to think this was funny. I think it was intended to be funny. Yeah. I so... did not find it funny. Oh, wow. Oh, man. I thought it was hilarious. It felt to me like they were laughing at the LARPers and not with the LARPers. Interesting. And that is why I did not find it funny oh. because it felt like the LARPers were the joke. That's possible. I could see, yeah, but I I didn't have that same viewpoint, but if you did, I can see why it was not funny. I don't think that was the intention. I guess I can understand the fear that that is, like, completely. What I thought was funny, though, was not the LARP itself. What I thought was funny was that this, you know, to use a a term we use in Marvel a lot, this is going to be a street-level story, and I think we can confidently say. There will not be superpowers and magic and Doctor Strange in this story. So we've got this street-level Marvel story, but they still brought in an MCU action sequence massive battle. It's just that it's LARPing in Central Park. It's played with slow motion and dramatic music, and it's it feels like the epic final moments of Endgame, but it's LARPers in Central Park. And I just think that's such a clever way of bringing in this. And, and so that's what I'm going to get into. One of the things I really like about the show is that I think it's play it's playfully using established tropes in a very creative and entertaining way. And like we said, maybe the show won't be as smart as in, impactful as WandaVision or Loki, but it's it's fun for how it's using these tropes. And one of them is the big climactic battle. It but you know, it's it's fake swords and fake armor. And I just thought that that in itself I thought was a very clever thing. And similar to that and a few scenes we're going to get an, a dramatic sword fight between the hero and I assume the villain. And it's got, it has all the things you'd expect from a dramatic showdown between hero and villain. It's got the music and it's got clashing. It's got, you know, clashing of swords and dialogue. Like it feels um, like it feels cinematically like a showdown, but it's a girl fighting her future stepdad in a in actually athletic fencing for basically ego like it's not it's not a climactic sword battle but it's given the cinematic treatment of a climactic sword battle i just think that's really funny and clever and then some of that's also how they're playing with christmas tropes now first off that's also part of why i like this i just like the christmas aesthetic i like the christmas music and the lights and the snow and it, it they're acting like this is like Jingle All the Way, they're acting like this is a New York Christmas uh, extravaganza. It's also a spy, th- an MCU spy thriller sort of thing, and so I just I really like that. I like that they're trying. They're and they did that all the way back with the advertising. But I really like the juxtaposition of these two elements together. And uh, I mean, 
they're playing with the trope of Peach already talked about this, but they're playing with the I'll be home for Christmas trope. He literally says it, I'll be home for Christmas. Like it's 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 like this is a Hallmark Christmas movie, but also there's a dude with a bow and arrow teaching a girl who also has a bow and arrow as they fight a tracksuit Eastern European mafia in New York. It, it's it's just ridiculous. It's, it, the juxtaposition in and of itself is funny to me. Um, also, I wish one of our music nerds was on this show because I'm liking the use of the Christmas music, particular, in particular when she's sneaking sneaking into the uh, um, wine cellar, how they're playing the suspenseful. They're playing Carol of the Bells for suspense, which, of course, Home Alone did it first, but it's still cool. <laughs> Watching her as she's sneaking around, we're going to play Carol of the Bells for suspense because this is also a Hallmark Christmas movie on Disney Plus with bows and arrows. I just, I just, it is, I am enjoying it for being clever on its own, just for the cleverness. Sorry. Why are, what are you sorry? sorry? Why are you sorry? I don't, I don't know. That was, that was a lot of nerd stuff. Damn, Robbie, how dare you talk about your thoughts on this episode on the podcast about your thoughts on this episode? <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it. I don't think I'm enjoying it as much as you guys, but I'm, I, I want to enjoy it as much as both of you. Like, in theory, what you are saying sounds really cool. A Marvel show that is trying to play off of being a Hallmark, you know, Christmas movie, that sounds really interesting to me. So far, I don't think they have nailed the execution yet, but I think once they do, I think it'll be really cool. Hey, listen, man, you either fake start watching this show and fake like it and i'm gonna take your shirt or you real start watching the show and real like it and i'm gonna take your shirt all right <laughs> give me your shirt it's got a, it's got boba or it's got uh the mandalorian and, uh, and the child on it listen i saw a helmet and then i and then i saw the child okay you saw you know a that- silver helmet a silver helmet it actually looks all black and white to me. But am I losing my vision? I don't know. It looks black. That's and white. Marvel. That's Marvel. This is Star Wars. Vision is uh, Marvel. Oh, uh, well, live long no, and no, prosper. No, we already lost vision. That man's dead. Yeah, sorry. Oh. Finding herself face to face with the man wearing the Ronin costume, Clint asks for it back. Himself. Whatever. But the man says only if Barton will let him kill him in the combat, reasoning that he'll be a legend if he can beat an actual superhero. Clint reluctantly agrees and fights the firefighter before throwing the match and getting killed to the excitement of the crowd. True to his word, the firefighter hands over the costume. Burn the corpse. After stashing the suit in the locker, Clint calls Laura, who knows everything, to let her know he has business he needs to finish with the tracksuits and will be home late, still vowing he'll be home by Christmas in five days. Yeah, okay. Barton goes out and is spotted by the tracksuits, who capture him with no effect. No effort, excuse me. At dinner, Kate baits Jack into a fencing match. Kate wins easily, but suspects Jack of letting her win. When he isn't paying attention, she lunges at him, and he easily disarms her, revealing his actual skill. Kate believes she has proven her mother's fiancé is a liar. (laughs) But this only makes (laughs) Eleanor angry. Jack changes, then comes back for drinks and offers Kate candy from his pocket recognizing it as Armand's butterscotch. Kate leaves shaken. That is the only part 
of these two episodes where I felt like the cheese level was like off the charts. Like that's how you're using to dis- to have the villain show, hey, I did kill him and you're the only one that knows. Want a butterscotch? <laughs> like, because because this man has never been to his uncle's house before and has never taken a piece of butterscotch right. before. Right. So how I interpreted the scene, <laughs> it's all funny, but I interpreted it less as her being smart and more as him showing her like i thought he was toying with her like hey i know you were there i know you're trying to figure things out here's a bunch of shots partly because yeah. he smirks when he does it but well, yes he absolutely. saw her he saw her face to face with half a mask on in the right. ronin suit and then he showed her the butterscotch that's what right. that was was him yeah. saying i know you were there i was also there because i got this butterscotch like yeah. shut the hell up i um <laughs> right but you're right for all for all you know Jack and all seven plus Armands have Armand branded butterscotch on hand at all times. And I also felt like, you know, sometimes because you don't trust your your watcher to remember everything they saw in the previous episode, you will put a little bit of what happened when you do your recap at the beginning of an episode. You put a little bit of a hint of stuff that was used as foreshadowing to refresh the, the watcher's memory, if you will. But like... They full on put the whole cheesy ass uh, monogrammed butterscotch <laughs> dialogue in there, and it Did just they... felt it felt really forced. It felt like all right, we we saw the butterscotch. Okay? I skipped the recap, so I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, they like the whole line exactly as when she said it in the first episode, like a monogrammed butterscotch. It's so weird. Go back and watch it because it's too much. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird that this is how she finds the clue. Like, oh, it must be my uncle because of the butterscotch. It is a little, it is a little strange. She calls Barton to try and tell him she found a clue to Armand's murder. But a tracksuit appears. Answers. I Using the clue. Bishop security tech on her phone, she is able to locate Hawkeye. At the lair of the tracksuits... Barton reveals he can easily break out of his restraints and isn't concerned by the guns and interrogation. He states he just wants to talk to the person in charge. The tracksuits instead start questioning him about the location of Kate. Clint says he doesn't know who she is before Kate herself falls through the skylight trying to rescue him. The two are both captured and duct taped to carnival rides while a tracksuit enforcer goes to tell their leader we have them both. So, uh, what do you guys think? What do you where Where is this show headed? I actually have no idea, and I don't mean that from a mystery box way. I mean that from a, I feel like there's not a mystery going on. We're just seeing a story as it unfolds. So it makes this section of the podcast kind of boring because it's like I don't know. I'm I'm I think the main mystery is what is Barton's, and I'd be interested to hear if you all have theories. What does Barton have with the tracksuits? Why does he need to stay there to deal with the tracksuits when he could just Go home for Christmas. What? Why does he need to talk to their leader? I think that's going to be kind of the main thing that's revealed. Uh, and then something's going on with Eleanor and Jack and all that. And I'm assuming that's connected yeah, I wonder to the if, tracksuit. I wonder if so, they have made the connection uh, that Hawkeye yeah. was Ronan. I don't know if they I don't know if they know that. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, like. When you said this earlier, Eduardo, I think now that's where my head is, is that like we're going to find out not next episode for sure, but at some point that Eleanor is is the bad guy in charge, the head bad guy in charge. Um, 
I don't, I'm still not really that threatened by Jack, but, and I also don't know that, that the tracksuit mafia's boss at the end. I don't know anything about that character. The only thing I have in my brain about that character. And I, and this is maybe an assumption because I don't even know if it's true. Is that that character is also hearing impaired. Is that true? It, that's what it, that's what looked like they were hinting that that, yeah. that character was also hearing impaired. That um, and I don't know that if that sense. character, that whoever sense. she is, is a hero, a villain, an anti-hero. Both, I, like I don't know. You know, I don't know anything about her. So, and also that one guy that Clint was like head nodding towards. It was like I want to talk to your boss, and it looked like the the guy that peeled his mask off in the first episode that's sitting there in the big coat. Like, is he important at all? Or is he also a bait and switch? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. I, I guess I just don't know. We are in a predicament by the end of this episode, but I don't, I don't see a path yet for a show like this. A show like this would typically have laid out its path by now. Like this is what the show is about, but we're not there yet. Like it's clearly going to be about Hawkeye, training Kate Bishop to be the new Hawkeye, right? Like that is where it's headed. But it, we haven't introduced that in the show yet. We're still just... it, And maybe this is one of my problems with it. It still feels like we're just laying foundation two episodes in. Yeah. Also, someone was talking about th- threatening villains. I don't feel like there's a threatening villain at all. Like, this does not feel to me like any, there's any sort of impending danger or doom. I was going to disagree with you just now because... I'm like two episodes in, why would we know what's going on in only two episodes? And then I just looked it up to make sure or to confirm my insanity. And I am just now kind of remembering that there are only six episodes of this show. We only have four more weeks of this already. So ratings, we're going to start with me. And I gave this episode, I thought it was a little better than the first one, but I'm still not convinced. And I gave it seven pizza dogs out of 10. What about you, Robbie? Uh, I did like this one more, and I gave this one because I had a lot of fun. Eight tracksuit bros out of ten. Yeah, I was happy. I was happy to rewatch this one. I when we do our Disney Plus series, I typically watch everything twice. The first one, I was like, I will watch this again for the podcast, and the second one, I was like, I am excited to watch this again for the podcast. I gave this eight Earls of Sandwich out of ten. Boom! Mm. Holiday yeah. sandwich. Well, that's going to do it for this week of Assembly Required, an MC retrospective. Join us next week as we talk all about episode three of Hawkeye. But first, if you want to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com slash assemblyrequired. Huge thanks to our Avengers-level patrons, Brian, Riley, and Adrian. And also huge thanks to Audible for supporting this episode of Assembly Required. If you want to email the show, you can do so, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. Follow the show on Twitter at assemblycast. Follow all of us individually at D underscore Peaches for Peaches, uh, Phil Kid 3 for Robbie, Gator Sax 2010 for Chris, and ABCD Eduardo 1 for myself. That's going to do it for myself, for Robbie, for Chris, who's not here, but for Peaches, we love you 3000. Bye, everybody. Uh, Excelsior and Bobbly Bobbly.
We are 33.3 repeating percent through the show. Will you, 30, when you say 33.3 yep. repeating, will you just kind of tell, like, what is that actual decimal? Can you just say it? Uh, three, 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 three,